Good morning, FBC. Uh, my name is Dennis McNutt. For those that don't recognize me without the beard, I got to <clears throat> reintroduce myself to you all. Um, there was a book that came out a number of years ago that I, I've always enjoyed the title of. It's called Everybody is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And uh, that's especially true in, in marriage. The premise was that, you know, that from a distance, we all look normal. We look like we have our lives together. But the closer you get to somebody, the more you get to know them, the more you realize they ain't normal. Um, and and uh, my wife has, uh, can testify to this. When she married me, I had never had a beard. And, um, and so over the years, I've grown my beard in. And then this week, the, as I had that big, bushy, wild man beard, the youth group got to vote by donating missions. They got to vote on what beard style I was going to shave my beard off into. And of course, when you leave it up to youth, the, uh, the half-face beard won, much to my wife's chagrin. And so a picture of that on, on the screen, I promised the youth I'd had to embarrass myself further by showing that. <clears throat> and so my wife can testify to this idea that everybody's normal until you get to know them. Um, sometimes you, you marry a guy that never had a beard, and then you end up having to walk around with a guy that looks like this. Um, and so... Uh, you know, that's a silly example, but, uh, uh, but, there are, but the truth is there are, when in marriage, two sinners come together, and the more you get to know them, there's not just the idiosyncrasies like a half-faced beard, but there are, there are deep sin heart issues in that person you married. Um, and, and so these things, as we get closer to each other, become hard to, uh, to have that great marriage that you thought you were going to have. And, and so we've been doing this focus here at Fellowship Bible Church these last few weeks, and this is the third and final message in that. And so my job today is, is to uh, tie it all together. Um, John Avery started us off a couple of weeks ago talking about the why of marriage, that marriage matters to everyone. And I know that was this, the snow weekend, so many of you may have missed that message. It is available, as Ashton was just talking about, on that fbcva.life. Uh, um, you can see the sermons uh, on there. And so you can go and see John Avery's uh, sermon from two weeks ago, if you missed that, on the, the marriage matters to everyone, and, and really the emphasis on the why of marriage. And then John Morrison last week, he, he spoke with us on the what of marriage, kind of a blueprint for marriage in the what and, and that focus on Ephesians 5. And my job this week is to talk about the how of marriage, the more practical, some ideas and examples of marriage and, and how do we put that into practice. Um, but I also want to, I'm going to spend the first half here wrap, reviewing what John Avery taught and what John Morrison taught because before we get into the practical call, we need to have our minds in the right place. We need to be coming out of uh, the right place as we think about how do we apply these truths into our, into our lives. And so I want to, we'll spend this first half just reviewing. So let's, let's remind ourselves on the why of marriage. Open up your Bibles, if you will, with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 as we review this. And the key, the heart of this, and really the starting point um, has to always be with a focus on Jesus Christ. And, and, the, and the, <clears throat> when we talk about marriage, it's no different uh, than anything else. We start with Christ because marriage is all about Jesus Christ. And we learn that in Ephesians chapter 5. Read with me verses 31 and 32. Paul quotes from Genesis in the great verse that establishes marriage Paul reaches back to Genesis and he quotes from there and he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
This, verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's this amazing thing that, that Paul does, is he, he, he says from the very foundation of this institution of marriage, it has been about Jesus Christ and the church. There is some profound thing about marriage or something about marriage that it, it, it paints a picture or it, it points to Jesus Christ and the church. So this, uh, the question is, well, how does marriage do that? How does marriage point to Jesus Christ and the church? So that's the why that makes it important. Marriage is important as an institution. By the way, it's not just important if you are married. It's important for the whole world. The institution of marriage is important if you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're a, a single young adult, if you're widowed, if you're separated, if, you're, um, if you are married. It is important to all of us as an institution because that institution points to Jesus Christ and the church. Well, how does it do that? And Paul, Paul refers to it as this mystery, and, and that phrase is not new in the book of Ephesians. Paul had, he keeps coming back on this idea of this mystery, and, and we can't fully develop it now. We don't have time, but let's go back and just remind ourselves in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. So flip back a couple chapters there to chapter 3, and let's read verses 4 through 6. It says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So here's this mystery idea again. Um, and <clears throat> verse 5, it says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. <clears throat> so listen carefully to this. The mystery is that the gospel has the power to reconcile people, bring people together in unity and unify them back to God. The, the gospel has the power to reverse the fall that happened in the garden, which separated people from each other and separated people from the giver of life, which was God. And so Paul is saying this mystery is that Jesus Christ, through, the, through what he did on the cross, has the power now to offer you life, to reconcile people to each other, and to reconcile people to God. And this mystery is the incredible riches, as he says down in verse 8, it is the unsearchable riches of Christ. This incredible mystery of Christ that through the power of the gospel has the power to bring people together, reconciling them to each other, and recon reconciling them to God. Now back to chapter 5. Paul is saying that marriage, as designed by God from the very beginning, has the incredible duty and responsibility and assignment from God to paint a picture of that power of the gospel to reconcile people to each other and to God. And the interesting thing about this is this can't happen with two perfect people. It takes two sinners together to show each other mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness even though the other person doesn't deserve it. Because by doing that, I am demonstrating the power of the gospel to reconcile uh, two people to each other and to God. 
So this is the incredible why of marriage. Why is marriage important? Because as two sinners come together, learning how to forgive each other, learning how to extend fresh grace and fresh mercy every morning to each other, especially when they don't deserve it, it shows this incredible portrait of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished and what the power of the gospel has uh, to accomplish for the church. That's the heart issue of marriage. And this is why the institution of marriage is important to the world. And as John Avery spoke two weeks ago, he talked about how important marriage is to our creator. He went through these seas. It's important to our creator because he established it. He founded it. He uh, made it this covenant for the world so that this marriage relationship would be a picture for the world of Jesus Christ and the church. So it's important to our creator. It's important to our culture. As the marriage goes, so goes the culture. It's important to our church. It's important to us in this room together, Fellowship Bible Church. It's important to our children. And it's important to all, all believers, all Christians. And I want to emphasize again, it's not important to you, if you're sitting here as, a, let's say, a single adult, it's not important to you because you might someday be married. That's not why you pay attention to this sermon. I mean, that's a good reason to pay attention to this sermon. But fundamentally, you, in marriage is important because it is this greater thing that has this greater purpose of, that's more important than just you or in me. It has this greater purpose that God instituted from the beginning to point to Christ and the church. That's why it's important to every one of us. Whether we're single, whether we're a 17-year-old kid sitting out there that's you know, marriage is the first thing from your mind. Marriage is important to you. The institution is important to you. And so we all, as John talked about two weeks ago, we all have to be on board with lifting marriage up in honor and making it this important thing that we are all about, that we all want to encourage, we all want to make it better because it is that foundational to our culture, to our church, to us um, all believers. So last week, John Morrison then went into the what of marriage. And so in the what of marriage, John went back to Ephesians chapter 5. So you don't have to turn many pages. We're going to stay here in Ephesians chapter 5. And, and the second half of Ephesians chapter 5 is where the apostle dives into really marriage specifically. But John Morrison showed us that back in, that really that marriage section uh, it is a specific instant that flows out of this idea from verses 1 and 2. So let's remind ourselves, verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, John took us through last week and showed us how the, the commands for husbands and wives flow out of this greater umbrella that we are all called to imitate God. Now, when we hear that phrase, we're like, well, imitate God. We may think, you know, first blush, our, our, our thought is, well, to imitate God, like, I need to lift myself up, because I've got to be worthy of worship and honor and praise, right? That's what our minds maybe go to. How can I imitate God? Because God is glorious. He's out far above and beyond all of us. How do I even uh, begin to imitate God? But see, here's the great irony in the way God has made this. 
Because verse 2, he, he's, he's showing us, it is not an exaltation of myself. It is in the humbling of myself that I am called to imitate God. And, and this is, uh, can be a little hard to get our minds around because verse 2, it's, it's this walk in love where Christ humbles himself and goes to, humbles himself to the point of death on a cross. That's the imitation that I am called to. And that's the imitation that marriage then flows out of. In John chapter 13, Jesus teaches us the same thing. He says he set an example for us to follow. And what example there did he set for them to follow was by getting down and washing the disciples' feet. He humbles himself to serve his brothers, uh, his disciples, and he calls them to imitate that, that that was the example there to follow. So when we think of this idea of imitating God, I'm not called to be a Pharisee to imitate God because that's where the Pharisees got it wrong. They didn't understand the law. That, it was, that the law was summarized by love and humility. Christ came and perfected the law and he perfects it by getting down on his knees and washing a disciple's feet. And here in Ephesians 5, that's what Paul is calling us to. He's saying, you imitate God by loving one another through humility. By a humbling of yourself, not exalting and lifting yourself up. And so the beauty of this is that if you are a believer here today, if you have trusted God to give you life because of what Christ has done on that cross, because Christ humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, and Christ now offers you life and is able to give it to you, if you've believed that and you've put your trust in his work, and, and for his ability to give you life because of who he is. Then the truth is, out of Romans chapter 5, you have the power now to love. Because God has done a supernatural work in your heart. Romans 5 verses 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if you are a believer here today, the Holy Spirit has been given to you, and you are standing firm in the grace of God. Nothing can move that or change that, and the love of God has been poured out in your heart and Ephesians 5, Paul is saying, imitate God by extending that love to others. And then later in chapter 5, verse 21 of Ephesians, uh, and this is where John said, this is the hinge verse, we are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in our marriage, when I humble myself and love my wife, I am demonstrating the power of the gospel in our marriage to bring unity. When, I extend, when she extends mercy to me because I made her walk around the mall with a half-faced beard um, with me, when she extends grace and mercy to me and forgives me for that, she is demonstrating the power of the gospel to bring unity. And see, that is the heart issue of marriage. It's not about us somehow becoming Pharisees and becoming perfect and people that walk around and do everything perfectly. It's about us humbling ourselves and learning to forgive each other. Because in that, the power of the gospel is displayed. 
And that is the call. And it's a, it's a shift in our thinking maybe and, and hopefully because if I get that wrong, if I think I'm called to being perfect, my why, the heart of my marriage is there's something wrong and I fall under condemnation and legalism. But if I understand I've been set free from that and my call is to imitate Christ by loving my wife and forgiving her. And her call is to love me and, and respect me and forgive me and extend the power of the gospel to me in our marriage. So that was the great what of, of marriage that, uh, that John took us through last week, that we are, tr- um, we are humbly serving each other. So I have a, a, a target up here that I want to talk, talk about because the, at the center of this, why? We've got to get that right. Ephesians 5.32, the cross is at the center. It is my great why. Why, do, why is marriage important to the whole world? Why is marriage important to you if you're single? Why is marriage important to you if you've been married for 26 years? Because it is about the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. And the what is, the, this idea that comes around it is, how do I demonstrate the power of the gospel through my marriage? Well, I learn to extend mercy and forgiveness and, and grace to my spouse. That's the what. And that looks like submitting to each other, respecting each other, loving each other, and making each other more important than ourselves. That's how the power of the gospel is displayed. So that's the why and the what. If I get that why wrong, if, if at the center of my why on the next slide is, is myself, let's say, and, and, and I'm going to use my own marriage as an example of this. For the first seven, eight years of our marriage, my why and my wife's why in our marriage was we wanted to be happy. I wanted this marriage to satisfy me. We were believers, but we didn't understand the power of the gospel to be central to our marriage. And so we were going through our marriage thinking marriage was about making us happy, going through this life, maybe have some kids, have some, you know, whatever. The problem is there is no power in that. And because self is at the center, it, it, that is sin. And sin always works its way out into death. And by year seven or eight of our marriage, we were experiencing death in our marriage. And it, and it was shriveling up and drying out. And it was those dry bones. It was dying. Because our why was wrong. Our why was this this heart of pride. The things that we wanted to serve ourselves. We didn't understand that the power of the gospel could breathe life into that marriage. By giving up of ourselves and, and, and loving each other and extending the power of the gospel to one another. Because that was the whole point of marriage. And we had to learn that. So we also have examples. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5 for a second, verse 10. I love this verse. Um, Because in the middle of that chapter 5, and John Morrison touched on this last week, I love verse 10. Because I think this speaks to the how of marriage that I want to get into. Verse 10, it says, In the midst of all of this, living out the power of the gospel in my life by imitating God and, and loving each other, making each other more important than ourselves, that's the why and the what. But he hints at the how with this idea of trying to learn what is pleasing to God. And I love the way Paul words that. I love the way the Holy Spirit words that because it implies that I need to, it's something I need to grow in. It's something I need to work on. I need to, I need to, I need to practice it. I need to get good at it because I'm, I'm not good at it. 
I'm, I'm bad at implementing the power of the gospel in my marriage. And so I, and, and it's not just in my marriage, in, in all aspects of my life. I've got to try to learn. I've got to try to grow in that. I've got to study scripture. I've got to hear good teaching. And then I've got to put it into practice in my life. And so I'm trying to go through life learning what is pleasing to God and putting these things into practice in my life. These, this hints at the how. James chapter 2 says this. Because if we don't focus on the how of actually implementing these truths in our lives, what the, what the truth that James teaches in James chapter 2, well, and I'll start in verse 14, he says, what good is it? Notice that phrase there in James 2 um, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poor, poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the uh, things needed for the body, what good is that? Notice he repeats that phrase. So <clears throat> when he says, can that faith save him in the middle of that, the salvation he's talking about is not eternal salvation. It's, it's a salvation talking about the here and now of what good is it? In other words, what power does it have in my life if I know this truth, but I don't put it into practice in my life, what power does it have? What good does it do in clothing the poor person? Well, if I apply that to, a, to my marriage, what good does it do me to listen to John Avery's sermon and then John Morrison's sermon, but not to implement those things and start trying to learn how to put those things into practice in my life? What benefit will there be to my marriage? And James would say, none. We've got to learn how to apply these things to our lives in order to experience the fruit that can come from this truth that God has given us. So as I seek to learn how to apply the gospel in my marriage, the promise of God is I will see fruit from that. And the other promise of God is he has given me everything I need in order to be able to seek to do that because I have the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God in my heart. And so I, I, I abide in the love of Christ that he's given me, and I seek to extend that love to my wife. And I learn how the gospel works through it. So I've got to change my thinking that my marriage or that marriage is about me and about having this great you know, relationship and thing to present to the world, and instead change my thinking and say, no, what I'm demonstrating for the world is that I'm able to forgive my wife when she doesn't deserve it. I mean, guys, that's, that changes our thinking when our wife does something you know, uh, I've talked to guys who say, well, you don't know my wife. I'm like, well, if your wife is worse than mine, then you have even better opportunity to demonstrate the gospel than I do. Praise God. <laughs> That's, th this is a renewal of our thinking, I hope. And, and that why is so important because when we get the why wrong from that, we are missing the whole point of marriage. We are missing the boat on it, and we will end up in a cycle that we don't understand why our marriage doesn't change and why it doesn't good. So we, we learn that it's about the power of the gospel, and we start trying to implement and trying to learn how to put that into our lives. God has given us each other as the church to help with this implementation, to help, because there's, and I, we don't have time to go to all the passages, but I just want to show a couple. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says... Brothers, join in imitating me. 
So we're called to imitate God, but, but also we have examples in Scripture where brothers and sisters, we are called to look for the good in each other where I see somebody else demonstrating the power of the gospel in their life. And I, I can try to seek to imitate that. Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We have each other, church, and we need each other church in order to do this thing called marriage in, in order to raise marriage up as a value so that we can affect our church we can affect this community we can affect our culture and we can show the power of the gospel to change lives through our marriages we need each other hebrews 6 gives another example of uh, uh verse 12 saying so that you may not be sluggish but eat, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises that we have we have scripture we have truth which gives us the why and we have the plan of the what that we learn in scripture and we need teachers and we need encouraged and we need to understand and grow in our knowledge and understanding of that and we have the examples of, of christ's life to see okay how does it work in that situation but but jesus never walked around through the mall with a half-faced beard so my wife doesn't know okay well how do i implement the truths of scripture in that situation and the bible doesn't address half-faced beards so she's got to look to the examples of others and figure out all right how do i implement the truth of the cross in this situation and we need each other for that. We need to encourage and exalt. Hebrews uh, 10, 23 and 24 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, we're to intentionally try to stir up each other's marriages. And, and the, the way when I look at for example, uh, you know, I, I look out at a brother out here and I say, you know, we need to encourage each other in our marriages. You know, I don't look to my brother and say, man, I need, teach me how to be the perfect husband. That's not the example I need because I can't, I already know I can't be the perfect husband. So that's just discouraging when I look at somebody and I think they have the perfect marriage. Really, that's not the example I need. The example I need is, is Dan, how do you forgive your wife when, when she just is ignorant to you you know how do you control your temper when when she does that thing she promised she wouldn't do how do you extend mercy fresh every morning um and and how do you show the power of the gospel to your wife when you feel like you don't want to those are the examples i need that's the encouragement that i need from you that's the exhortation that we need to be extending out to each other how do we live the power of the gospel in our marriage you know, don't, don't show me your perfect marriage and how you don't have any problems. That doesn't really help me because I know that ain't me and I can't do that. Show me how you deal with issues in your marriage and how you extend mercy and grace and walk through that. That's what I need to hear. That's the encouragement I, I need. And so in this how, kind of the, the why is our purpose and motivation. The what is kind of the knowledge and the plan. The how that I want to talk to now is how do we get good at this? How do we practice these things? Well, we look to examples of each other. We look to, we study scripture, we learn truth, and we work, seek to learn how to apply those truths in our lives. Well, the point of the home center out here in the lobby is, is focused on that third piece of it. It's focused on, it's, it's just stock full out there of just ideas and examples, things that you can take either, and not just marriage, but we're focused on marriage right now in this church for these next four months. 
So, so you can go in there and you can get examples of how does a single person lift up marriage? How do I maybe pick a, a marriage to pray for in my, uh, that I'm going to, because marriage is important. Even if I'm not married, marriage is important because it's Christ in church. So I'm going to pray for marriages. Or wives, you're struggling with something in your marriage. There's, there, there's examples and ideas out there for you to maybe use. We need each other and we need to have little tools and little things to, to get good at. And so out in the home center, there's a section right now on marriage matters focus uh, that, that has idea cards, it has things that you can pull from and say, hey, let me try this. Let me, let's do that. Um, and we need to set and encourage examples for each other. We need these tools because it, we're not going to benefit in our marriage until we start actually trying to do these truths in our lives and learning what does it mean to show my husband mercy even though he's left the toilet seat up again how do i do that how do i not go off the rails and start screaming at him how do i how do i extend love and grace so here are some examples um, i want to show the first one you can look at the pictures here um, courtney pantalina babysitting her niece so that uh, the, the baby's mom and dad could go out and uh, take care of some errands or do some things. Here's an idea for you if you're single. How do you uphold marriage? Make it a priority. Well, the marriages that are around you, how do you lift them up? You know, I mean, first of all, and John talked about this two weeks ago, purity and for your own marriage, because not because for your own sake, but because marriage is that important and it points to Christ in the church. But beyond just your own personal uh, purity and that kind of a talk, beyond that, how do you lift up the marriages around you? How do you pray for them? How do you encourage them? How do you speak life in there? You know, the Apostle Paul was single, and he, he exalted singleness and, and how it's glory, but he also ex lifted up marriage and the importance of it. How do you as a single person follow that? How do you lift up marriage? Next example here is uh, my kids went through one of the idea cards is to interview your mom and dad. Um, asking them all kinds of questions about their marriage. And so there's an idea card out there for kids and teenagers. Here's, sit down, here's some questions to ask mom and dad, or maybe even that might be more fun to ask grandma and grandpa. Grandma and grandpa, how did you meet? Grandpa, how did you propose? You know, what is it, what is it that uh, made you want to marry grandma um, or mom or dad? Because it's important to train for our, up our children that marriage matters. And remember, never forget the why. As you're sharing, parents, with your kids, why is it that marriage is important? It's not that, we've, that my wife and I have had this fairy tale marriage and we are just these awesome people that nobody else could have a marriage like ours because we live in fantasy world and we have the, you know, she's beauty and I'm the beast. Um, no, it's because we're two sinners that came together. Yeah, we fell in love and boy, we had some struggles. Um, but kids, we're learning how to extend each other mercy and grace. Teach your kids that. Teach your kids how the power of the gospel works in your marriage. Because you don't want to lead your kids astray into thinking that their marriage has to be somehow perfect. Or when they see mom and dad bickering and arguing for the 10th time this morning, um, they, you know, they have this conception that marriage is supposed to be perfect. They're never supposed to have an argument. No, are we training our kids? No, in the midst of this argument, kids come alongside, hold me accountable. We need to learn in the midst of those things how to extend grace and mercy, how to be kind and tender-hearted. Tender Why? Because it's the power of the gospel 
that we're displaying for our children. We're not showing them that we can be great Pharisees and perfect. We're showing them that we're sinners forgiven and we've been given life because of what Christ did on the cross and we're trying to extend that to each other. That's what we want to train and teach our kids. Next examples, there's a packet out there in the, in the home center that has eight date nights. Um, and so <clears throat> there's eight date cards and my wife and I have already been for, through a couple of them. Here's some examples of people using the eight date cards. This is uh, Rodney and Carmen Dowdy. Um, they celebrated their 28th anniversary yesterday. And so they were going through one of the date night cards called Reaffirm Your Love. It's out there in that packet. And at the end of that card, they actually went through their, oh, the marriage vows again and, and, uh, and celebrated that sweet time with each other. You know, they needed, they, and it, it was helpful to them to have that example card to go through. You know, I, I don't know Rodney, but I'm guessing he wouldn't have thought of doing the, the, uh, the vows without the little prompting. Maybe he would have. He maybe he's a romantic. Next one, eight dates. Um, another example, please, is... I think, yeah, it's John and Diane. They went out and they did the refreshing, building each other up with your, verbally. So they went out to Perkins for a little date night. They used a date card and they went through this, uh, the card that has the questions on how to encourage each other. Diane, what do you need? Where can I encourage you? How can I build you up? And, and Diane, the same for John. And, and using the example that's out there in the, uh, the home center. Um, next example. Um, this is Josh and Tara Jones spending some quality time just in their house uh, over some coffee and the Bible and using the Marriage Matters co idea card on uh, encouraging each other as well. It's going through. They're just simple ideas. But, but remember, we need each other. We need examples to use, to learn, because this is a process of, of getting skillful and getting uh, better than I was last year at implementing the power of the gospel in my marriage. And if we just let up on it, it's going to crash and burn. We need to work on it. We need to encourage each other. We need examples and imitations to use. Um, today is my wife and I's 26th anniversary. Happy anniversary, my love. Um, so today is our anniversary. And we... I mentioned earlier, we, you know, we had struggled, you know, in that kind of that seventh, eighth, ninth year of our marriage, we were crashing and burning because our why was wrong. And we, we needed to learn and understand that our why was wrong. And, and, uh, and praise God, we, Fellowship Bible Church was advertising, um, it's now called Weekend to Remember, but back in those days, it was called I Still Do Conference. And FBC was advertising this I Still Do Conference, so we decided to go to that. And that changed our marriage. Because it fixed the why. It fixed the heart of what was going on in our marriage. We had to come away from that I Still Do conference understanding, no, it's the power of the gospel in our marriage. Christ has to be the center of our marriage. We've been living our marriage on this totally wrong notion of pleasing ourselves, and that's why we were crashing and burning. We needed our why to be fixed. So Fellowship Bible Church is offering a prize. So here's another, along this idea of spurring one another on to love and good deeds, we want to spur this congregation on to take on these eight date nights and, and to actually use them in your own marriages. And so if you use at least four of the date nights, grab the packet from the home center, 
If you and your wife use at least four of those date night cards, then what you can do is you can put your name and information on a, on a, 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 a card, a slip, and there's a box in the home center that you can drop your name into, and there's going to be a drawing uh, where a prize is going to be given away to a Weekend to Remember conference where your conference fees will be paid for and the hotel will be paid for. I encourage you to do that. If you don't win the prize, do it anyway. Uh, because I can testify, it changed my marriage. Because we needed that time to fix our why and our what. Because our hows were crashing. And it was a weekend to remember that did that in our lives. So encourage each other. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Church, we need each other. Singles, I need you to be praying for my marriage. I need you to be upholding marriage as a high and valuable institution in this world because the world needs the power of the gospel to change it. Marriages and families need the power of the gospel to change it. This culture needs the power of the gospel to change it. And so I call all of us that let's go together, church, and let's focus on marriage over these next four months. How can we implement the power of the gospel in our lives by imitating God, by submitting to one another, by learning how to please God in the way I treat my wife. Let's do that together. So, as a final application before we all leave, at the end of every aisle, and some aisles it's the end on the right, and some aisles on, is the end on the left, and this is true down in F3 and true here, um, at, but every aisle has a bin, and in that bin are some pens and some 120-day assessments. So I want us all to take a few minutes now, I'm going to give you time because we want everybody to do this, to spend a little bit of time doing the survey part, um, look for the part that applies to you. If you're a single, then go to the single section. If you're married, go to the marriage section. Uh, answer some of those questions that apply to you, and we are going to collect them. When you go out the door, doors, there's going to be bins for you to drop those off into. So spend a, a, a minute or two, and don't obsess over it, but a minute or two uh, filling out the survey about how have you been doing. And then but really where I want you to spend the, the majority of your time, spend a few more minutes on, is the tear-off card where you can, what do you want to do differently in the next 120 days than what you did in this past 120 days? Maybe you want to commit to doing four of those date night cards out of the eight. Maybe you want to commit to doing all eight. Maybe there's a marriage that you know of that you want to be praying for daily. And this is a great one. If you're sitting out there and you're a 16-year-old girl, um, and you're wondering, well, how, what am I going to do differently in the next 120 days that has to do with marriage? I'm, and trust me, I'm not calling you to be married in the next 120 days. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, how can you in the next 120 days lift marriage up and make it a priority? And maybe for you, if you're that 16-year-old girl, you know of a marriage that you are going to pray for daily. That's just an idea. So fill out the 120-day what you want to do differently in the next 120 days. So I'm going to just be quiet for a few minutes as you all fill out this 120-day this assessment. The tear-offs are meant for you to take home with you, maybe put on your refrigerator, maybe hang it on a mirror. 
Maybe think about it more tonight on what, what do you want to do personally over the next 120 days that raises the value of marriage because it is important. Um, and just to use it as a reminder. The, the survey portion, um, later when you're dismissed, drop off in one of these bins uh, that are around the rooms at the, at the exits uh, or at the back of the room there. Um, before we leave, I want to read one final passage to you as an encouragement. And, and I want you to listen as I read this passage because it, it, it's an encouragement, number one, that you, ha- because of what Christ has done, because of his grace and his mercy, you have been given everything that you need to learn how to humble yourself. He hasn't given you everything you need in order to be a God to yourself. He's given you everything you need in order to humble yourself and love others the way Christ has loved you. And in this passage, it always also points as a reminder to what our goal is. Our goal is that humility and brotherly love. And it's, it's through growing in that that we experience the fruit that God promises, the blessings that he promises. And so... Let me close with this passage out of 2 Peter. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much. Lord, what you have done for us is truly incredible. That the creator of the universe loved us so much that he sent his only son. Lord, that whoever might believe in him would have life in his name, not perishing. Lord, that's an incredible truth. And we thank you for that. And Father, We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for pouring your love out into our hearts. And Lord, we pray for strength and wisdom and courage to learn how to demonstrate that gospel in all areas of our life. But particularly now, Lord, we want to focus on on our marriages. Help us, Father, to see in the specific examples of our own life that are each unique and varied, Father, but all of us learning how to put into practice the truth of the cross in our marriage by imitating what you have done for us. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have done, and we pray for that strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
So you may be dismissed and on your way out, go ahead and drop your survey cards into. Thank you for coming this morning.